So, um, the Mary and Martha passage, their connection with Jesus, you know, we see uh, them in a, mul- a couple different places in Scripture, three times to be exact, where we see them all together, Mary, Martha, and then Lazarus, who is their brother. And we assume this location is Bethany, which we talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about Lazarus, that their home was in Bethany, which was uh, only a few miles from Jerusalem. It was kind of on the outskirts. So as Jesus is making his way back to Jerusalem, he often stopped in Bethany and spent time with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And these people were close friends. It's almost like we're seeing the beginning of a relationship here in this uh, part where Martha is opening her home to Jesus and they're starting to build relationships. And, uh, and you're seeing kind of this relationship start to, to happen, which later on will, will kind of culminate in Lazarus coming out of the tomb. Um, and so we see Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We see them in Bethany. We see them close to Jerusalem. And often when I hear this passage preached, it's, it's sort of one of a couple things. So, you know, I mentioned already having a Mary heart in a Martha world. I think there's a book by that title um, where it's, you know, uh, you know, you got to make sure that your heart is whatever leading you to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha m- is missed everything because she was just too busy. Um, or... Uh, we need Mary's heart and Martha's hands. That's where you make them both seem like they are following Jesus and having a relationship with him when Jesus is actually calling one of them out and saying one of them was doing the right thing. Or you might hear this passage preached, um, which essentially I like to call this, this way of preaching it, Mary good, Martha bad, which essentially is just making out all the people who are like Martha, wired like Martha, to feel bad about themselves and all the other people. I had, I had somebody come up to me during question in the daytime and say, what if I'm lazy and I don't like people? When, how am I supposed to answer this question? I don't know. I don't know what I have for you there. Um, or, you know, we've seen this passage preached where we just talk about personality differences. And, uh, and to be honest with you, I love that idea. I love the idea of talking about how we're wired differently and how we respond differently and how, you know, some people even, and I can speak to myself, when the pressure's on, I rise. I get better. I, I do better. Right? If there's no pressure, I do worse. If I'm running late for something, I'm like more likely to do everything right. If I'm uh, on time to something, I probably forgot a bunch of stuff I was supposed to have. Right? Uh, if you're a people person you know, and you're you know, uh, kind of thriving in who you are, you're generally the life of the party and you're showing up and you're, you're somebody who brings people together and you create community and you love to serve people and you love to, to be there. If you're um, a sort of task-oriented person, you love getting things done. You want to check something off, even if it doesn't matter. You create things on your list just so you can check them off, even though they're not important, just so you can feel the, uh, the endorphins of checking that thing, of, of writing that little check mark. You'd be like, okay, finished my task list. Okay, great. Check. Right? I, I got one done. Found a pen. Check. Okay. Uh, am alive. Check. Right? You, like, you start with four or five different things, and you kind of get yourself ready. And yes, we could talk about personality differences. We could talk about how we're wired differently, and that's all true and awesome. But I think when we preach this passage, we miss what's really going on here. This is about relationship. And this is about Jesus spending time with these two women and entering into their world and their reaction in relationship to him. And I want you to know it starts off, you know, if you hear a sermon about Mary good, Martha bad, that's kind of true in this passage. But it doesn't stay here. 
right? In the end, when we get to the uh, point where Lazarus has died and he's been entombed, and Jesus shows up to Bethany, and everybody's been mourning for a couple days while Lazarus is in the tomb, and he comes in contact with Martha, and Martha says to him, Lord, if you were only here when, when Lazarus died, he wouldn't be in the tomb right now. And Jesus says to her, hey, your brother is going to raise again. He's going he's gonna to walk out of that tomb. He's gonna, and she says, I know, I know, I know. In the end times, he's going to walk out of that tomb. And, he, and Jesus says to her, no, that's happening right now. And then she looks at Jesus and says, I believe that you're the Messiah, and I have faith that anything you say is possible. And so if you're telling me that, then it's true. She puts faith on display for everyone else there who's in, like, turmoil, right? She believes and trusts and accepts what Jesus says. She's amazing. She has a, an incredible faith that gets built over time. Mary comes to Jesus, and just kind of like the way that she is, she sees Jesus and immediately falls at his feet and starts to weep. Mary is overcome by her emotion in that moment. She's not at her best. She's still struggling with the emotions of everything. She doesn't know how to have faith in that, in that section, and Martha kind of leads her. So in this situation, you've got Mary doing the right thing and Martha missing it. But later on, you've got Martha leading Mary with her faith. And so this relationship that they're building is, is good. And if you have one of the personalities or the other, it doesn't matter. You're not, it's not bad. You have to learn what are the things that make you special and that are your superpowers, right? Talking to strangers is my superpower. Whenever we go on a mission trip, right, we do some sort of street evangelism. I'm like, let's do this. Like, I, uh, one time when we were in Mexico, um, I got paired up with Megan. I'm just going to throw her under the bus right now. And if you know Megan, uh, she's on staff with us. She's, Megan gets everything done. We call her the pastor of everything else because we really can't come up with a term that explains what she does. But she just kills everything. She just crushes it. She just is amazing at getting things done. But they paired us together. And Megan has a little bit of Spanish, just like a, like a little bit. And I was like, great, we got Spanish and we got somebody who likes to talk to people. Let's go. Let's do this. And she's like, uh-uh, I don't want to do this. I'm not, I'm not okay with this. And I was like, just follow me and translate. I got this. I was in my element, right? Just talking to strangers, inviting myself into their homes, you know, asking them for whatever I could get, and, you know, explaining to them Jesus, sitting down, having conversations with them. And we were literally like confined to 50 words. It didn't matter. I was just acting stuff out. It was like, we'll make this work and we'll find a way to have... You, you have superpowers. You're, you're wired in a certain way. That's okay. If you're wired in the other direction, right? The people like me need you in our lives. You're the one that actually makes things go. You're the one that gets things done, okay? So one's not right or wrong, but they both have kind of weaknesses and strengths that we should be looking at all the time. And you can even go further with the, the personality stuff. It's not just task. And people, it's introverted and extroverted. You can look at disc personality profiles, Enneagram, whatever. But all those things should help just explain who we are. And to be honest with you, it's a good process because if I could just be straight with you for a second, as a pastor who's worked with millennials since they were 13 years old, uh, there's a lot of millennials, I'll speak directly to them, and I'm sure older as well, uh, who just are completely unaware of who they are. They think they're a task person when they're a people person. They think they're a people person when they're a task. They think there's something inadequate about them. They, they think about all the things they can't do as opposed to the superpowers that they have. And I would just recommend in those situations to know yourself, to be honest with your weaknesses and strengths, to lean into those strengths and to figure out what you were designed to do and to do those things to your best ability for Jesus. That's, 
that's what it comes down to. But I want to look at this passage and I want to talk a little bit about um, what I really see as the, the crux of it, the real problem here. Um, and that's that hurry can rob you of time with Jesus. If you're taking a note, that's your note. Hurry can rob you of your time with Jesus. Let me go back to the passage real quick, okay? And let's just take a look at it verse by verse. It's only four verses. Real quick, we're going to start with verse 38. Here it comes. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. The first thing we see is that Martha's gift of hospitality is on display. She's not a villain. She's not screwing everything up here. In fact, even when Jesus gets to the end and kind of reprimands her, he's not saying you're sinning. He's saying you missed the best possibility. Right? He's not saying there's anything wrong with what you're doing. He's just saying you missed what was really most important about this, this moment. But it says she opened her home to him, or in another translation, she welcomed Jesus into her home. I think there's a lot of us who would be afraid even to welcome Jesus into, into our home. There's probably others of us who think, wow, what an opportunity. If I could welcome Jesus into my home, it would be the greatest day ever in the history of my home, right? So she gets an opportunity to do what all of us may want to do or what some of us may want to avoid, like the plague. Maybe we don't want to invite Jesus into our home. Maybe we don't want Jesus to have full access to everything that we are and who we are. But Martha was willing to do that and open to that and wanted to begin this relationship with Jesus. So she invites him into the home. And just like every single family, there's strife between these two sisters. They're not the same. They're wired completely differently. Anybody with multiple kids, you know, one kid might be wired one way and the other one completely differently. And anyone married in that kind of situation, it's a great team, right? If you have one person who's on one end and one person on the other end, it's a great team. Um, I tend to work best in that situation where I have someone whose strengths are my weaknesses and they make me stronger. If you guys are both task-oriented people, you're probably a little boring. And if you're both people-oriented people, you're probably a little disorganized. Um, and if you're one of each, maybe there's a perfect harmony there. So her sister Mary comes over and she says she had a sister who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. All we see about Mary is that she shows up and freeloads, right? I, I think I was talking about this with, uh, with a task-oriented person last week. I was talking about Mary and Martha and they said, you know, Mary gets a bad rap, or Martha gets a bad rap. Like, nobody would have ate if it wasn't for Martha. Like, the food would never hit the table if it wasn't for Martha. Like, things wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Martha. I don't know why Jesus is yelling at her, right? But Mary, her focus when she comes into the home is not to get busy, not to get active. It's to sit at the feet of Jesus and spend time listening to what he said. Our job as disciples comes down to almost that exactly. That we are called to sit at the Lord's feet and listen to what he said. And I think if I were going to put myself into the headspace of Martha and into 2022, I would say we still struggle with sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to what he has to say. That hurry is part of our world. You know, we had this uh, conversation in January when we talked about pace of life and the speed that we go at and the hurry. And honestly, it's a conversation that we need to continue to have and needs to be brought up every six months, every year to remind ourselves that we're moving too quickly and we're missing out on the idea that we need to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to what he has said. To be discipled by him means we need to spend time with him. And think about this, right? You know this is true because 
when you have a conversation with another person that you haven't seen in a little bit, like you don't know what's going on in their life, you haven't seen them in a month or two months, it feels like this last month was real loose. I've seen a lot of people again for, I haven't seen them in a month. And they're like, hey, how you doing? And you know what the first thing out of your mouth is or maybe out of their mouth is, man, we're just so busy. Man, we're just so busy, man. We got kids, we got to go to this, this soccer tournament, you know, like we got, oh we're, oh, we're having people come visit us, oh, we're going on vacation, oh, we got a lot going on at work right now. Man, we're just, man, we're just so busy. It's like the first thing out of our mouth. That's how we describe our like everyday existence to people we haven't seen for a month. The first thing that we describe is our busyness. Like what if that wasn't the first thing that we said when we ran into somebody? What if it was like, Hey, man, let me tell you what God's been teaching me lately. Hey, man, uh, I've been in God's word, and he's been showing me this. Hey, let me tell you this cool thing that happened with a friend of mine or with my own family or with one of my kids. Let me tell you what God's been doing in my life. No, we go to I'm so busy, right? It's a way for us to avoid a real conversation and a way for us to, you know, to describe the hurried state of our life. And we kind of live in this state of being hurried you know, and, and I don't think we always realize that until we disconnect. I know a lot of you are taking vacations, going to the cabin, going to the lake, disconnecting. You're going to find yourself in a, in a boat of some kind or fishing or swimming. You know, and last week, me and Marty got a chance. We, we went away for a couple of days, and uh, we had dropped the kids off at camp. <clears throat> we had like, like six glorious days with, without children. No offense, Miles. We love you, buddy. But um, it was like... I don't even know what to do. Some of you with like toddlers are like, you don't even know what that is. You've and there's one point where we're sitting on a, a little patio next to a tiny home. We had uh, borrowed a tiny home from someone, and we were kind of just staying up. It was near Fergus Falls out there, and uh, we're like sitting there, like reading. And Marge's like, "Do you hear that?" I'm like, "I'm listening for like a loon, or like an animal of some kind, or." She's like, it's, it's just silent. Like, we, we haven't heard that in like 10 years, <laughs> you know? Like, I know some of us with the families that we have, with the craziness of what's going on, we can't not be in a busy season. But there's a difference between busyness and hurry. Jesus and the disciples were often busy, but never hurried, okay? I, we have to find a way to clear out everything in our calendar we can, but then also to make sure that the things that we have in our calendar put us at the feet of Jesus being discipled and listening to him in those moments that we can find, in those times when we need to be recharged, those times when we need to hear his voice, that we're getting away and spending time with him even in the midst of our busy, busy schedules. That there's a difference between busy and hurry. That sometimes we can find ourselves being busy, but we can't live in a hurried lifestyle. And hurry is incompatible with the things that are most important. Hurry is incompatible with relationships. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody where you're like, hey, how you doing? And then they like start, or they ask you how you're doing and you start to tell them what's going on in your life and they've already moved on to the next statement. They didn't really care how you were doing. They're not really listening to what you're saying. They just needed to start the conversation with something that made sense. So it's, hey, how you doing? Okay, great. Let me tell you about something. Hurry doesn't work in relationships. Hurry and busy are the, are the antithesis of relationships. They hurt relationships. Time spent is the key ingredient to having a great relationship. Being with someone and in their presence 
and able to listen and able to, to speak to them is a key ingredient. And it's what we're talking about here. Martha can't spend any time with Jesus because she's so hurried by the expectations and by the stuff that needs to be done. And all she can see is the tasks that are getting in the way of the relationship in her life. We need to stop and say that maybe all of our activity isn't always productive. And that silence, solitude, an unhurried life, spending time with people, that those can sometimes be the most productive things we do in relationships. That activity doesn't always equal productivity, but that sometimes we need to stop and spend time to be productive in a relationship, to see it grow, to see it move in the right direction. That productive time is often slow. It is often slower than we're comfortable with. It does take more time than we want it to, but that we have to be okay with that. And that was what Jesus was encouraging what he saw in Mary. She wasn't focused on any of the stuff. She was sitting at his feet, listening to what he had to say, and being discipled by him. We think about hurry as it relates to the fruit of the Spirit. Again, incompatible with the fruit of the Spirit. There's no hurry in love. There's no hurry in peace. There's no hurry in joy. There's no hurry in patience. These things that we're called to be as believers, there, there can't be hurry involved in those things. That they happen slow. They happen methodically. They become part of our lives because we change in the presence of Jesus. Yes, the disciples were busy, but they weren't hurried. Jesus stopped all the time. All the expectations were on him to continue healing all night, and he would just leave and go to a solitary place and spend time with God. In the midst of a crowd crushing around him, when he felt the power come out of him as the woman who was bleeding touched the, just the hem of his garment, he stopped and spent time with her in the midst of all the expectations and of all the crowd there. He wasn't hurried. Yes, he was busy, but he wasn't hurried. He was willing to stop and spend time in a relationship even in that, that moment. And I think sometimes we get into this, you know, on the other side of it, we get into this idea that our religious motion, right, will build something. And so the second idea here, if you're taking a note, is that religious motion can also rob us of time with Jesus. And you're like, wait a second, pastor, you want religious motion to me. You want me to come to to no? Yes? Can you guys hear me? <laughs> check one, two. Check, check. All right, well, I'm going to try it. If not, I'm going to pick up a mic behind me. Sound good? Okay, awesome. Religious motion can also rob you of relationship, of time with Jesus. And you're like, dude, you're a pastor. You want me to come to church? You want me to go through these religious motions? You got stuff for us to do. You got mission for us to do. You want me to show up to stuff? And yeah, I think those things grow us in incredible ways. When we're able to give to the mission, we're ever able to serve together for what God's doing. We're able to be together here out in the park. This is amazing. But there are times when we go through the religious motions and we are missing any real connection with God. We're going through the motions, but we don't have any emotion in our relationship with Jesus. Yes, baptor, Baptist pastor, plus one, emotion, the motions. Just throwing that out there. That religious motion can actually rob us of time with Jesus. And here's, 
Here's the thing to keep our eyes on it. When we're trying to do stuff for Jesus instead of being with Jesus, we're just going through religious motions. When we're trying to give gifts to Jesus instead of actually receiving him as a gift. You want me to keep going? I can do this all day. When we're trying to spend intentional time with Jesus instead of, uh, or trying to give him the things that we think he wants instead of spending that intentional time with him. We do this all the time. We think that if we are just able to give Jesus these gifts that he wants, then he'll, that'll turn into a relationship with God. But that's just religious motion. That's just us trying to control God and to give him the things that we think he wants. We do the things that God wants us to do because we're in relationship with him, because we spend time in his presence, because we're discipled by sitting at his feet. Instead of trying to keep God happy, which leads to a couple things in our lives. If we're trying to keep God happy and we're trying to do the things that we want, uh, that we think he wants us to do just for the sake of the religious motion in our lives, then it leads to resentment or it leads to pride. Look at what Martha says in that moment. Look at what she says. She goes, can we go to the next verse? Uh, Yes, it's 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, they, yes, they need like family counseling for sure. I, I'm pretty sure there's some stress that's been, it probably happens at every time, every major holiday they get together. You know, it's like, okay, it's Passover and here's Martha doing all the work and Mary's sitting there, you know, and she probably is frustrated with it and they have history. And so Martha's getting resentful and controlling in that moment. But look what else Martha's doing. She's telling Jesus, the creator of all things, that he's doing the wrong thing. Like you want to talk about controlling and you want to talk about resentment, Martha's got a little bit of that going here. She's like, Jesus, I'm doing what's right and Mary's doing what's wrong and you're doing what's wrong because you're not calling her out for it. Like, we can find ourselves in a place of trying to control other people because we're resentful. They need to work as hard as us or like us or do it like we wanted them to do it. Or we try to control what they're doing because we're resentful because we're missing the idea that religious motion doesn't actually lead to relationship. It leads to sometimes us being resentful. Martha is resentful of Mary and resentful even of Jesus in this moment. Hey, she needs to do what she's supposed to do and you need to do what you're supposed to do. And I'm going to continue doing the right thing over here, just sort of slaving away. We hear that same uh, language used about the brother, not the lost brother who went away and squandered everything, the brother who stayed home and slaved for his father. That we can find ourselves in religious motion that doesn't allow us to connect or to grow in relationship with God. And we can find ourselves getting resentful. Have you ever met a Christian who is full of resentment? I have. How about pride? That's the other way. So sometimes when we're full of religious motion and we look around and we see people not going through the motions like we are, we say, well, look at them. They're not as good as me because I do this and this and this and this and I'm doing the right thing and I'm doing what God wants me to do and I'm doing this religious motion. Have you ever met a Christian who's full of pride? I have. We can find ourselves doing all the right things and it adding up to not what we hoped it would or what we intended for it to do that religious motion doesn't actually equal into relationship. 
Religious motion can actually steal the time that we need away from Jesus. And there is a lot in play here. Like, I don't want to bag on Martha because I feel kind of stressed out about all the things that are in play. Yes, there are, in the first century, huge gender role issues. And when you showed up in someone's house, the women, you know, they waited on the men. I love that Jesus basically says, no, Mary gets a pass on that because she's doing what's most important. In fact, I wonder if Martha had sat at Jesus' feet, and this is just the Newmark International Version. This is just me wondering that what's reading between the lines was not there. How the food would have got made? And I believe 100% it would have got made. It would have been either miraculous, Jesus would have been like, and there it is, there's the food. Or he might have sent one of his disciples into the kitchen. Honestly, Jesus teaching his disciples about serving and about sort of kind of getting rid of those, those uh, assigned roles of that, of that environment, I could have seen him go, hey, who's the most prideful disciple I've got this week? That guy's going to be on dinner duty. I'm sending him into the kitchen to make what's got to get made or do what's got to get done. And I'm going to spend time with Mary and Martha and Lazarus because that's what I'm here to do. That's what I'm here for. Like Martha almost takes away an opportunity for Jesus to either make something miraculous happen or to maybe teach his disciples about being a servant. Jesus often uh, worked against whatever the pre-assigned roles or pre-assigned expectations were of the first century. He doesn't treat women differently. He doesn't keep them away from the conversation that's happening. It's not a, it's not a, a boys club in that respect. There are women welcomed into that discipling environment. Yes, he travels with just men, but there are women all on the periphery of what's going on, invited into the center of what's happening at all of these places. And I think this would have been an excellent example of Jesus throwing the gender roles on their head if he had a chance to. And so there's a lot in play here. Martha feels those expectations. She feels the expectation of maybe perfectionism or maybe people-pleasing or maybe the cultural norms of the day. And yes, we still feel those expectations. In fact, you may still be in a, in a marriage, for instance, or in a relationship with someone where you have to define what those roles look like in your, in your marriage. Sometimes they look more traditional and other times they don't look very traditional, right? Uh, there's been some moments here with my foot where there's been certain things I couldn't do and had to trust either my 10-year-old son or my wife to go and do. And I'm I'm standing there last winter at the edge of the garage watching the two of them struggle with the snowblower and try to figure out how to clear the driveway. And I got to be honest with you, everything inside of me is like, this is all wrong, right? I can't, I, I don't feel good about the idea that my wife is in the driveway removing the snow from the driveway. By the way, she didn't care at all. She was like enjoying using the snowblower. She's like, this is fun. Um, but there's something inside of me that the, the cultural norm of that, the pressure, the expectation felt messed up, felt wrong, felt like there was a problem. And I know Martha's feeling that, but she's missing out on what's better. So let's talk about, let's talk about what's better. In case it rains, we don't want to drone on today. The big problem here is that Martha is distracted. It says she was distracted by all the preparations of making the meal. It's 40 that I was on there. And that word distraction literally translates to someone being pulled in multiple directions. 
If you're trying to figure out if you're living a hurried life or just a busy life, or a hurried life or the life that God wants you to have, then I would ask you the question, do you often feel pulled in multiple directions? Do you want to be doing something because you feel like you should, but you're required to do something else because that hurried lifestyle is in the way of what you really want to be doing? And we call that the tyranny of the urgent, right? There are things in our lives that we have to do. We've got to do them. They're important. They're very important and they're very time sensitive. And those are urgent matters and we have to deal with those. But when we live only in the sphere of doing everything that's urgent all the time, then we have no space and no room to build relationship with God, to build relationships with others, to grow in who we are, to be disciple, to listen to Jesus. And I think when we're at that tipping point, if you're asking, am I at that tipping point? You find that the expectations of those of the urgent are equal to or more important than being with Jesus. That the expectations of the urgent are either equal to or more important than being with Jesus. When you find yourself in that place too much, then yes, it's time to look at that schedule. It's time to pare back what you're doing. It's time to create space in your, in your life. It's time to make room to sit at the feet of Jesus and to be discipled by him. To not let the tyranny of the urgent rule your life. And I get it. I know that I'm asking for something that's incredibly difficult. Yes, everything is a value proposition. And everything is, if I do this, I can't do this. Or if I don't do this, then I have space to do this. But often we aren't making the decision. We're allowing the urgent thing to take over our lives instead of making decisions that allow for space for us to be with Jesus. Andy Stanley, he puts it like this. He says, the things that distract are rarely as important as the things that we get distracted from. I'm going to reread that to you because we're, it's not on the screen. The things that distract are rarely as important as the things we get distracted from. If we live in a hurried state, the things that distract us take over our lives and we miss out on the things that we're actually supposed to be doing that we get distracted from. And this is always a value proposition. What is most important? Are you going through the emotions? Are going through the motions, or are you feeling that connection with God and that emotional state? And I started thinking about this this week. You know, there was a tweet that I read from some pastor, and he said, you know, I wonder sometimes that if we turned off the mics in our services, if we would actually hear the music anymore. That, like, people are coming to church, but they're just sort of standing there. And then somebody gets up to speak and they're like, all right, preacher guy, like, knock me out. And it's a weird situation that we find ourselves in because we either need to be completely moved emotionally by the music or the room or the quality of the music or the, or the production value, or we find ourselves just sort of standing there kind of lifeless. And I wonder if we turned off the, the, the sound, if we turned off the voices, if we would actually hear the music being sung around us. That there's an emotional component to this that we have in our relationship with Jesus that we some sometimes we just don't have it. We just we show up because we're supposed to and we hope that God will knock us out with a great sermon and then we go home and we go, oh it was alright, it was okay. It was okay. And I know this is true because when we were going through COVID, you know, and I don't know what your experience was, but my experience was anytime I interacted with a service on a TV I never sang a word. I, I, can I admit that? Is there anybody else like me? 
that you just like the music was on in the background and you were like making coffee or making making food or or maybe you're just sitting there talking but like you didn't really connect and then you listen to the sermon but you were only kind of listening because there's just stuff around and you were kind of only I feel like sometimes we can find ourselves in that yeah we're going through these motions but we're really not sitting at Jesus's feet we're not worshiping we're not spending time with him we're just showing up because we're supposed to we're just making our face seen by other people we have their expectations on us and our world's expectations on us and culture's expectations on us and we're just going through the motions and I wonder how many of us find ourselves in that place like I long for a church that says that shows up ready for a church because they have an overflow of relationship with Jesus and when the worship begins they just fall right into it because they're back with Jesus because they've been with him all week. I mean, I long for a group of people that say, like, this is not just an hour on Sunday for me. This is every day for me. This is me relating to and sitting at the feet of and being discipled and creating time and space for and not allowing myself to be too hurried so I can be with Jesus. And the overflow is what happens when I get together with the rest of the believers. You know, when Jesus was... uh, on the earth and he was working with his disciples, uh, there was a moment where John's disciples uh, came to Jesus and they were like a little bit resentful of Jesus's disciples. It was kind of a funny moment where they're like the two most like like all-in groups of disciples that you could possibly find. John, the Baptist disciples who are like, you know, like living in the desert and eating locusts and like going through the motions and they fast every day. And they have all these like rituals that they were doing and like they were intense, intense, intense. And you got Jesus' disciples who are following him and they don't have a place to stay and they're just kind of at the whim of whatever people, whatever hospitality people will give them. And they're just, they don't even have money for food later, but they're going to find a way and figure it out. And, you know, they're the two most incredibly like committed disciple groups. And John's disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? Like, I don't understand why your disciples don't fast. Like, it's crazy. As Jews, we should be fasting. As people who are like in this religion together, like it, it's part of our what we do. We fast together. We we fast regularly. We should be your disciples should be fasting. And Jesus was kind of famous at the time for not having his disciples fast at all. John's disciples were like, wait, hold on. Why do they get to not do it? We we're doing it. Why don't they? Why, they should do it. They have to do it. And Jesus answered and he said, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them. And I know that that doesn't exactly, when you read that, maybe it doesn't pop off the page because it's 2022 and that's a first century concept. But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm not going to ask my disciples to miss a moment of the fullness of what it means to be in a relationship with me while I'm here with them. That this is not right? Guaranteed to go forever. And while the bridegroom is with, when you go to the wedding, you don't fast. When you're at the wedding, you celebrate. When you're at the wedding, you spend time with the bridegroom. When you're at the wedding, you celebrate. You get on the dance floor. You eat the good food. You pull out the good wine. You do all these things to be in relationship and to enjoy the relationship and to celebrate the relationship. And he says, I don't need to ask my disciples to fast because they're essentially at the wedding right now with me. 
and they're making the most of every moment they have with me. And I, I want you to know, like, the Holy Spirit now indwells in you if you're a believer in Jesus. You have access to Jesus at all times, at all moments of your life. And I wonder if we just sort of turn it off and take it for granted. It's almost like we're fasting at the wedding. We're not enjoying the, the celebration that we could be having. We're not enjoying the relationship that is offered to us because we're letting the expectations of the world around us cut it off because we are ourselves perfectionists or people pleasers because we are missing what this is all about and it's Mary gets it the one thing Jesus encourages in this moment is hey she chose what was best and what was best was to sit at my feet and be discipled by me and so this is your you know every six months reminder to go through your schedule again and to look at it and say what else can I eliminate and how can I be in relationship with Jesus even more and where do I find time to sit at his feet and to be discipled by him am I in a cycle of just keeping myself satisfied with the busyness of life to the point where I'm neglecting my relationship with Jesus am I in a cycle of just keeping myself inoculated from being bored enough that I don't do any of the things that are important that instead when I have time, I go back to that playlist. Instead when I have time, I pick up that phone because now, you know, I have to, to make sure I'm not bored. Instead when I have time, I pick up that video game controller. Instead when I have time, I do something that keeps me from feeling the, the need for Jesus. Because if you're doing that, that's a hurried lifestyle. And we're missing the fact that the wedding is going on all around us that we're called into this relationship and that we can sit at the feet of Jesus at any time and spend time with him. He'll take care of the rest of the details. All right, let me, let me close this in prayer if you guys would let me. Jesus, even as we go this week, would you allow us to say no to the things that we need to say no to? Would you help us to create space in our lives so that you can fill those spaces and that our relationship with you can grow and would you grow those things that grow best in soul would you grow love patience and peace and kindness and self-control in our lives because we find time to sit at your feet god would you grow us as disciples because we find time to spend sitting at your feet would you help us to let go of the expectations to let go of the tasks to let go of the busyness the hurriedness God, and would you allow us to be focused in on who you are and what you've called us to be? Would you allow us to emulate Mary in this story? And we would find time to sit at your feet and listen to what you say and be discipled by you. In Jesus' name, amen.